it's my pleasure to welcome you here this evening on behalf of the EY Hindu Network and Veda London. My name is Bijal Majithia and I work here at EY in global diversity and inclusiveness. And it's also my honor to lead the Hindu Network. The Hindu Network hosts a wide range of dynamic events to showcase the Vedic philosophy through exploration of ancient wisdom and philosophy, presentation of arts and culture, and self-development seminars. Our events come together with support from Veda London, bringing together a wide range of people from across the city. The aim of our network is to support EY's diversity and inclusiveness agenda, which celebrates the fact that our differences matter and we should come together to nurture them to build a better working world. For those of you who are active on social media this evening, you can see the handles and hashtags on the screen. The secret of attaining happiness has been pursued since the dawn of man, and yet this secret still eludes us today. Have you ever noticed that we're always chasing something, be it a new car, a promotion, or a significant other? And this leads to the belief that when X, Y, or Z happens, we'll finally be happy. While these major life events may make us happy for a period of time, research has shown that this happiness doesn't last. A study from Northwestern University measured the happiness levels of two groups. One group, who were a regular group, and a second group, who had recently won large lottery prizes the year prior. The researchers were surprised to find that the happiness ratings of the two groups were practically identical. The mistaken notion that life events dictate your happiness and sadness is so prevalent that psychologists have named it impact bias. However, the reality is that event-based happiness is fleeting and it doesn't give us the fulfillment that we actually desire. So, what does lasting happiness mean and where does it come from? Here to shed some light, we're honored to have with us His Holiness Bhakti Charaswami a renounced monk and traveling teacher of over 40 years. Born in Bengal in 1945, he left India to travel to Germany where he studied chemistry. Whilst in Germany, he came across the Vedic literatures and discovered that their richness was so, so great that he decided to return to India to wholeheartedly pursue spiritual life. He's now renowned all over the world for his depth of spiritual knowledge and practice and we're very fortunate to have him speaking with us this evening. So please join me in welcoming His Holiness. Hare Krishna. Good evening, everybody. We start our programs with a short prayer to our spiritual master, and the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So I'll start off with that. <coughs> Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chokshurun Militan Jena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda 
श्रीअद्वैतगदाधार श्रीबाषदी गौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे सो इट्स अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग टॉपिक दैट आई हैव टू डिस्कस अबाउट टुनाइट happiness and how to first of all what it is and how to achieve it first i will discuss about what happiness literally means i will source these concepts from the vedas the vedas are the books of wisdom the word veda it's a sanskrit word and usually all sanskrit words stem from a specific root so this word veda originates from the root vid which means to know and veda means knowledge so vedas are actually dealing with the entire domain of knowledge not only material but spiritual as well so vedas give various definitions of the word happiness according to its different level the first consideration of happiness is cessation of pain we are in a painful situation and when that painful situation is removed or eradicated that is considered to be happiness and the cause of happiness is basically fulfillment of desire we want something we desire something and when we get it we feel happy then it goes to the extent of pointing out that happiness is a matter of gratifying our senses our senses are craving for certain great gratification or desire and when that gra- it is gratified the senses are satisfied we call it happiness 
and then in this way gradually it comes to the understanding that okay here I will use the Sanskrit expression to clarify the point there are two expressions one is suk in Sanskrit which indicates happiness and another expression is anandam so ananda is not quite similar to happiness but ananda is diametrically opposed to suffering like if we consider that happiness is cessation of pain eradication of pain we are in a painful situation when that pain is removed for the time being we call it happiness now if the, there is a diametrically opposed consideration to pain is anandam which has been defined as permanent removal of suffering condition mm -hmm. in Sanskrit it is called Atantik Dukkha Nibritti <coughs> Atantik means total uh, Dukkha means suffering and Nibritti means uh, removal cessation total cessation like okay here graphically maybe we can point out through this example like if we consider suffering is suffering is darkness then by lighting a lamp when we remove that darkness that can be compared to happiness but the lamp the darkness will be removed only as long as the lamp will be lit the when the lamp is extinguished then again the darkness will prevail now if you go out into broad daylight if the Sun comes up is there any possibility of darkness no the darkness is immediately removed so here is the thing like happiness is removal of darkness with a lamp therefore it is temporary it lasts only for a short while because at some point the lamp will be extinguished but to be in broad daylight when there is no possibility of darkness that situation is considered to be anandam so am I clear up to this point hmm? the temporary removal of suffering is happiness but the permanent removal of suffering is anandam now the main consideration <coughs> according to the Vedas is to become situated in that anandam 
Now, how it can be achieved? So, that has been uh, presented very systematically in the Vedas through different uh, branches of philosophy. This, this uh, whole, in this entire subject matter is dealt with six branches of philosophy, gradually uh, elevating from one to the other. And they have been divided into three factors. The first consideration is action-reaction principle, which is called Karmakanda section of the Vedas. Then the second consideration is called Gyanakanda or the knowledge aspect. And the third consideration is loving relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although God is there and irrespective of our accepting or not, he will be there. But still the Vedas are making a very scientific and systematic approach towards that. Like Vedas are not saying that accept it because I am telling you. But Vedas are saying use your intelligence, use your reasoning mind to recognize uh, who he is. So that is what I'll try to present here. In this respect, I also want to mention, like it's happened this morning, I received an email. Somebody sent me an email from giving some reports from Guardian, the Guardian. And that actually said that uh, from the census of 2014, it shows that 48.5% uh, of UK population don't have any religion. The census of 2011 showed 25% did not uh, have religion or, or considered that they didn't have any religious conviction or allegiance. Now in three years it rose from 25 to 48.5. 23.5% increase in just three years. And I was thinking that it's, I'm not surprised because today what's going on in the name of religion is not going to appeal to any intelligent mind because it is totally unscientific just based on anyway let's not get into that the point that I'm making is that today's individuals want to accept things based on uh, rational reasonable uh, understanding. 
And in that respect, I want to point out that religion in real sense is not a faith. Religion is actually science. If science is a systematic study of any subject, if science is an experimentally verified facts, then religion is a science which is scientifically, systematically accepting or entering into another domain that is beyond this material nature. There is another reality beyond this material nature, that is the spiritual reality. It is there. Although it is not perceivable by our senses, but it is there beyond our sense perception. Because we cannot see or perceive that reality, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And Vedas are actually systematically taking us to that domain. And so that's what I'm going to present here today. So as I mentioned, there are three aspects. Those three aspects are dealing, or analyzed, or systematically presented through six branches of philosophy. The first aspect is called Karma Kanda. Karma Kanda is simply karma means action. And the understanding is uh, the action generates reaction. I mean, in that respect, we can even consider uh, the law of motion. To every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Or, in simple words, as you sow, so shall you reap. Things that happen to us is not just some accidental happening. Whatever is happening to us is a result of our past actions. As we have acted in the past, accordingly we are going to get the reactions. And the understanding in this Karmakanda section is that Right actions will lead to happiness and wrong actions will lead to suffering. In our day-to-day -day life also we can see a person who prepares himself nicely, he has a bright future. But a person who squanders his time ends up becoming miserable. So <clears throat> this is the basic consideration. And Vedas in the Karmakanda section is starting with the thing that everybody wants to enjoy. But one must know how to enjoy. Because wrong action is not lead to enjoyment but to suffering. For example, one may think that if he gets a lot of money, he'll be able to enjoy. And he robs a bank and gets the money. But instead of enjoying, he ends up in the prison. So this money, acquiring that money, did not lead him to enjoyment, but to suffering. So, this is how it is coming to this consideration of 
piety and sin. The right action is called piety or pious activities and wrong actions are configured to be sin. So when one acts in a pious way, he creates a uh, rewarding future. And when one acts in a wrong way, he ends up suffering. And if it is a matter of fulfilling our desires to enjoy or to become happy, the Vedas are giving all kinds of prescriptions. Okay, you want to become rich? Act in this way, you'll become rich. Then one feels that, well, this is not enough. I want to become a king. Of course, in democratic world, there's no possibility of that. So he, but Vedas are saying, okay, if you act in this way, you can become a king. Still, he's not happy. He thinks, now I have to become the king of the entire earth planet. And it goes on. So Vedas are giving the, the means how to fulfill one's desires, no matter whatever it is. And in this way, one goes through his life and eventually he realizes that in spite of all my endeavor to enjoy, I'm suffering. So the natural quest is, why am I suffering? So that is actually taking from Karmakanda section or the consideration of action-reaction is taking him into the platform of Gyanakanda or knowledge. Why am I suffering. So this is taking him to the next branch of philosophy called Naya. Oh, incidentally, the first branch of philosophy that is dealing with this action-reaction consideration is called uh, Purva Mimamsa or preliminary conclusion. The preliminary conclusion of this branch or the conclusion of this preliminary uh, branch of philosophy is Right action leads to enjoyment, and wrong actions will lead to suffering. But then eventually one realizes that in spite of all my endeavor for enjoyment, I am suffering. So it's a very interesting aspect here. And this is taking to a branch of philosophy called Naya. Naya means logic or reasoning. Why am I suffering? And it is leading to the conclusion that this is a place for suffering and this body is an instrument for receiving pain. Like I know it's a kind of a shocking statement. <laughs> but let us consider whether it is this consideration is valid or not. Take any part of your body, any part of your body, say the little finger, and consider in how many different ways you can inflict pain to this little finger. You can take a knife, cut it, and take some fire, burn it. 
you can take stone and smash it. In so many ways you can inflict pain to this little finger. Now you're considering how many ways you can give pleasure to this little finger. And I tell you, this applies to every single part of our body. And what we are actually struggling all the time is to avoid that painful situation. Our intelligence is helping us. That's what the intelligence is doing. That don't get into that situation because it will lead to suffering. So we are in a world of suffering and in a body which is meant to receive pain and uh, we are constantly struggling to avoid that suffering condition. But no matter how much, how much we try, we cannot really avoid the suffering. We, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to enjoy. And nobody wants suffering. But still it comes, uninvited. It comes. It's unavoidable. So, <clears throat> then it is taking to the next consideration, next branch of philosophy, called Vaisheshika, which is leading to the atomic theory. The question is then, what is this world where we are in? And the conclusion is, this world is a combination of the minutest particles called Paramanu, which can be translated into English as atoms. But this concept of Paramanu is even more subtle than atom. Anyway, let's not get into that. Let's consider that this visible, perceivable reality is nothing but combination of in the atoms. Uh, and then it is taking to the next branch of philosophy called Sankhya or analytical study. Let us analyze this world. What is where we are in and what is this reality? So that is taking to the consideration there are five elements with which this material nature is composed of in a gross way. The gross reality is consisting of earth, water, fire, air and ether. In simple words, solid, liquid, fiery, aerial and ethereal substances. And we have five senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and skin. The ears interact with ether, sound is produced. Skin interacts with air, touch is produced. Fire, or rather eyes, interact with fire. Form is produced. Tongue interacts with water. Taste is produced. And nose interacts with earth. And smell is produced. So this is how, due to the interaction between the five senses and the five elements of this nature, 
five objects of the senses are generated sound touch form taste and smell then they consider that there are five working senses with which we become active in this world those five working senses are speech hands anus belly and genitals so with these five working senses one becomes active in this nature then they consider there are five there are three subtle elements beyond this their mind intelligence and false ego in sanskrit their man buddhi and ahankar these are just i am giving the english uh, translation of these expressions it sometimes may become little confusing what is false ego like it is a substance which actually makes us identify ourselves with the body false ego literally means mistaken identity my actual identity is something else but i am identifying myself with this body that's the false ego so 20 plus 3 23 then they consider the mahatatva which is the basic ingredients with which the entire creation entire material nature has been composed of so in this way through this 24 consideration they analyze the entire material nature but they didn't stop at that they consider that all these 24 are in objective reality but the objects cannot exist without the subject so who is the subject i am the subject our eyes are the subject i am here therefore this reality is here you are here therefore to you this reality is here now see with this 24 consideration the entire material nature has been analyzed but the i couldn't be found therefore i is beyond this material nature so in this way they are actually transcending the material nature and coming to a non material or anti material or spiritual reality so that's why we're saying this entire approach is extremely scientific it is not just a matter of some faith so <clears throat> then they consider so this is how that transcending the material nature with the 25th consideration that is i and that is the spiritual entity that i am and that is the soul so this is how they are establishing the identity of an individual being spiritual or spirit soul now everybody has his soul you have your soul i have my soul we all are spiritual entities uh, with our uh, with our souls now in this way we can see that the souls are 
minute and many. So anything that is minute and many must have its source. So the source of all souls is the supreme soul from whom all the souls, all of us have come. And that supreme soul is identified as God. So, in this way, through the 25th and 26th consideration, they transcend the material nature, enter into the spiritual domain, establishing the existence of an individual soul or a spirit soul and the supreme soul or God. So then it takes to the next branch of philosophy, the fifth branch of philosophy called yoga. The word yoga literally means uh, to link, to be linked up, to be connected. Mm, yoga. Mm. So the consideration is that if we are parts of the supreme soul or God, then what is our relationship with him? For example, this little finger is a part of my body. Now, as long as this finger is connected to the body, it has, uh, it has a lot of relevance, a lot of value, a lot of utility. But the moment it is severed from this body, it doesn't have any utility. So similarly, our existence as a part lies in our connection to the soul, to the whole. So how that connection can be established? So that is taking us to the next branch of philosophy called yoga. And it has eight different steps or levels. Therefore it's called Ashtanga Yoga. Those eight limbed yoga. The first, first aspect is we are separated from him due to our impurities or due to our becoming separated from him we have become impure. So how to purify ourselves? And that is uh, considered as the first aspect called yama or external purification. This external purification is not only just taking bath and wearing clean clothes. The external purification also considers what we eat. Because what we eat, that becomes our body. If we eat wrong stuff, then uh, it will be, we'll have a wrong kind of body. Therefore, we have to know how to eat right. So, and this is just one aspect of the yama, yama stage. Then niyama, the internal purification. The purification of the mind. The internal purification, purification of our subtle body. And then the third aspect is asana, uh, meaning sitting. 
like body is a vehicle a wonderful vehicle that can take us to our ultimate destination now in order to drive this vehicle in order to properly utilize this vehicle first thing we have to do is know how to sit and where to sit so that is the that consideration and in today in today's world what goes on in the name of yoga is actually this third aspect asana aspect just uh, like uh, this body functioning of the body has a lot to do with our nervous system and eventually the nervous system leads to the brain brain actually is the seat of the mind so so this is the uh, the basic aspect of asana then pranayama breathing control because our mind our thoughts have a very close connection with our breathing like when we are excited how do we breathe breathe very quickly and when you are peaceful how do we breathe so this aspect of pranayama is the process of controlling the breathing and breathing consists of three functions breathing is not just a matter of inhaling and exhaling the third aspect of breathing which is the most important aspect of breathing according to the yoga is called pratya i'm, I'm sorry uh, kumbhaka uh, rechaka means filling the lungs or filling the body with the air uh, i'm sorry puraka is the filling rechaka is exhaling uh, inhaling excelling and kumbhaka is the retaining aspect of the vedas uh, of pranayam and a yogi actually controls the breathing to such a way, such a way that he practically stops breathing recently uh, there was a, a kumbha mela in ujjain Kumbha Mela is a big religious fair that takes place in India and there was one person uh, his name is Pilot Baba he that person used to be a pilot before uh, and he became uh, a yogi and he was demonstrating of stopping to breathe for 3 to 4 hours he was being uh, put into a trunk and he was buried underground and after some hours he came out and not only him one of his japanese lady disciple was also demonstrating the same thing <laughs> so this is how through the pranayama process one can actually stop breathing for hours together that's what the yogis do and in this way after the fourth stage of pranayama one comes to a fifth stage called pratyahar 
or withdrawal of the senses from the objects of the senses. Our senses are dragging our consciousness externally. Eyes see, we become attracted. Ears hear, sound, we become attracted. In this way, we are constantly being attracted towards the external nature. But the process of the purpose of yoga is to meditate or internally project oneself, one's consciousness. And so in this way, after this withdrawal of the senses, one becomes eligible to meditate or project his consciousness internally to the core of the heart where along with our soul, the Supreme Soul or the Supreme Personality of Godhead is residing. The Lord is there in everyone's heart. And through this process of meditation after due qualification, one reaches this fifth, sixth stage called Dhyan or meditation after withdrawing his senses from its external projection. And then, uh, when the meditation becomes fixed, that is the seventh stage known as dharana. And then when he perceives the Lord in the heart, that is the stage of samadhi or trance. When he sees the Lord in the heart, then he is completely withdrawn from this external reality. And he is there with him in the spiritual reality. So at that stage, when the soul, a living entity, perceives the Lord, who is the supreme, a minute comes across the absolute. Naturally, his head bends down with respect and he surrenders to him. So this surrender is taking to the next branch or the final branch of philosophy called al the final conclusion, Uttar Mimangsha. And this Uttar Mimangsha is establishing that when a living entity spontaneously surrenders himself to the Lord, the Lord picks him up in his loving embrace. And a loving relationship develops between the Lord and his uh, eternal part and parcel. The loving relationship develops between the Father and the Son. And that loving relationship is the source of joy, as I was telling, which is termed in Sanskrit as Anandam. So in this way the Vedas are actually taking us from the temporary situation of cessation of pain, which is called happiness, to the ultimate point of removal of suffering condition completely and become situated in a state of existence which is diametrically opposed to suffering condition, 
that is anandam or in sanskrit in, in english it can be termed as bliss or ecstasy so uh, vedas are pointing out the goal of human form of life is to reach that stage the human form comes with a very special opportunity the human beings have been endowed with a inconceivable ability to expand his consciousness to an unlimited extent human beings are not only most advanced or most developed most intelligent and most conscious individuals but they have the ability to expand their consciousness and this is the way one expands his consciousness to become connected to the supreme source of consciousness through that loving exchange he becomes situated in a state that he is always hankering for and that state is the state of bliss a state of ananda so thank you all very much and if anybody has any question please feel free to ask the process that you've just described yeah, like right. the 25 stages um or the, the what make up um how to achieve happiness um it seems like quite a complex process um so how would one make his first steps on that journey one for very nice thank you uh you see to <laughs> to approach any process or any subject we need a teacher so the first consideration is actually to come across a qualified teacher who can guide through this process like what subject did you master what did you study finance so what did you do in order to learn the subject yeah and study under the guidance of a qualified teacher right the books were there but just the books are not enough to reveal the books there is a need for a teacher similarly just as to study to learn something you have to go to a school or get a teacher similarly to enter into this topic or enter into this realm the first consideration is actually get a teacher so one has to find the right teacher and study or practice the process under his guidance and it works for example today i am here speaking about certain subject uh i think it was mentioned in my while introducing me <laughs> she mentioned that i was in germany and i went back to india actually it's not that in germany i came across the vedic literatures when i was in germany i realized how little i knew about my own culture and i started to study i got the books sent from india and i started to study 
And that study actually led me to the understanding that I need a teacher. So I went back to India to search in search of a teacher. And uh, after an extensive search, I came across a teacher. It's not that, you know, like, although I, when I went back to India, I thought, or before I went back to India, I was thinking that as soon as I go to India, I'll find my teacher, I'll find my guru, and he'll take, show me the way. But when I went there, I found it extremely disappointing. And practically after one year of search, when I practically gave up the search, I came across a book. And by reading that book, I realized the person who wrote the book, he is my guru. I didn't meet him personally at that time, just by reading that book. And also when I accepted the process, I thought that, well, I'll give it a try for, I'll try it for two months. And if I don't like, I can uh, go back. Because I had to shave my head at that time. And I thought that if I don't like it, then two, uh, two months' time my hair will grow and I can go back. <laughs> and the two months uh, didn't end even after 40 years. So, yeah, the point is to, to enter into this domain, we need a guide, we need a teacher. Does it answer your question? <laughs> and he will lead you. He'll lead you, you know, like, and uh, you can rest assured that, you know, that the right kind of teacher can show you that way. Huh? Yes, yes, I had the good fortune of being in very close contact with him. I actually came across him at a time when he had a, more than 10,000 followers. And each one of them would give anything to just have a moment's association. And at that time I had the good fortune of, uh, like he allowed me to stay with him practically 24 hours a day, till he left this planet. I was a secretary, I used to cook for him, he taught me how to cook. <laughs> so, yes, I had the good fortune of his association. Maharaj, you've given a nice explanation about finding a teacher. Um, I have a slight contention with this. I'm not convinced that perhaps all of us in this room will perhaps necessarily have either the uh, impetus or burning desire to find a teacher here and now. What I am sure is everybody in this room wants to get more happiness, less stress, and more peace. So is there anything in the meantime more practical and pragmatic that we can start doing, blending from those six processes that we can start doing at home perhaps? It comes back to the same point, actually. That is, somebody who knows the way has to come and show them. If I come to London and I have to go to, say, uh, say Abbey Road, <laughs> like on my own, if I have to find a place, it will be very, very difficult. But if I get, a, get into a taxi and tell him that that's where I want to go, who knows the way, he can just drive me straight there. That is the difference, you know. If I want to find the way myself, 
it'll be very difficult, very arduous. But if I find somebody who knows the way, and I just submit to him, and tell me, can you please show me the way? That's the easiest way. So teacher is a person who knows the way. Like, uh, say for example, uh, he was telling his, he studied finance. So he studied finance under the guidance of somebody who knew the subject. And that's why it became easy for you to understand. Right? Like if you had to buy some books on finance and study and master the subject yourself, could it be possible? Could it be possible? No? So as you were saying, everybody is hankering for happiness. Right? It's true, like everybody is aspiring for happiness. And now the question is how to find it. And my answer is find somebody who is really happy. And he will show you the way how to become happy. Namaste Swamiji, uh, thank you very much for the, for the very insightful discussion. Uh, firstly, right, um, many of us are, are very similar given that we're based in London. All of us are, I think, uh, predominantly young professionals. If you had to think of, of one thing, uh, and, and many of us remain unfulfilled, I think, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but uh, uh, what do you think the one thing is that we are doing wrong? Are we too focused on money, career progress? Are we losing the plot completely? And, uh, and furthermore, uh, achieving complete happiness, or the, how did you phrase it, uh, the end of suffering or no suffering, uh, are we, uh, is it ever possible for us? Or is it, does it, are, you, are we required to follow a 100% very involved spiritual path? Is there a balance for us, you know, as professionals? Or, I mean, we could find a teacher, but uh, mm. if we don't adopt a 100% uh, sort of spiritual path, is it ever possible for us to achieve self-realization and, you know, all of these uh, spiritual yeah. goals? When you were a little child, did you have any anxiety? Did you have any stress? Did you have any difficulty <laughs> as a child? Is this specific to me or a general question? A general question, I can okay, say. Okay. I mean, as a child... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in a way a personal question, but meant to be a general question. Uh, um, thing. Uh, like um, the reality, what actually I was trying to say, yeah. when we were young, we didn't really have any anxiety because the parents were there. We knew that they're there, they're going to take care of all my needs and, you know, and, uh, but the trouble starts when we grow up. When we have to fend for ourselves when we have to deal with all the difficulties that is surrounding us. And that leads us to a very, very stressful situation. But if we can become like a child, finding a father who is not only there, but who actually owns everything, and he knows everything, and he controls everything. And if we submit ourselves to him, at least I can tell you that we can become completely free from all anxiety. 
and that is God. Like that's why first I tried to establish his existence and his identity in a systematic way. Like he is there. He, although we may not be able to see him, but he is there. And there is one faculty that can enable us to perceive him or appreciate his existence. Like, just consider the food that we are eating. Where is it coming from? A seed of an apple falls on the ground, turns into a tree. In that tree, there are innumerable apples. In those apples, there are innumerable seeds. In those seeds, there are the possibilities, or in the seeds, there are trees. In those trees, there are innumerable fruits. In those fruits, there are innumerable seeds. Now tell me, is it an accidental phenomena or is it somebody's arrangement? What will be an intelligent consideration for that? Well, you are not sure because you never probed into it. But just use your common sense. You are an intelligent person. Can this be an accidental phenomena? So the question is, uh, why are they innumerable or infinite? Why is there an infinite amount of fruit from the tree? Well, I, mean, I just asked a very simple question. Right. A seed falls on the ground and a tree comes up. Yeah. Well, that's right. nature, right? Or, yeah. So, yeah. Right. But is nature just some haphazard accidental happening or nature is being controlled by somebody? Uh, by God, presumably. Okay, yes. that's it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. More important than food is actually water. And about three-fourths of this planet is water. But that water is unusable, undrinkable, unpotable. But sun makes that water to evaporate and it forms the cloud and the wind disperses it all over and then that distilled water comes down in the form of raindrops and fills up all the water bodies. Now tell me who made that arrangement? <laughs> of course, God, again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even more important than water is oxygen for us. We are taking oxygen, giving out carbon dioxide. If that process continued, then the whole atmosphere would have been filled with carbon dioxide. But did it ever happen? No. Trees and plants are taking the carbon dioxide and giving back the oxygen to us. So tell me who made that arrangement? Okay, we are on a planet uh, which is spherical. The earth is round. We are situated on the surface of the earth. Hmm. If there is some object on the surface of a on, on the on top of a round thing, 
and if that round thing moved, then what would have happened? That object would have fell, fallen, uh, would have uh, fallen off. So now we are on the surface of the earth, earth is round and earth is moving at a speed of about thousand kilometers an hour. Now what would have happened to us? What should have happened to us? We should have been deflected into the space in no time. But did it ever happen? Did anyone ever got deflected in that way? No. Why? We may call it gravitational pull, but the question is, who created that gravity? And consider, the earth is moving at a tremendous speed, and we all are situated on, that, on the surface of the earth. If the earth stopped even for a fraction of a moment, what would have happened? The whole creation would have been destroyed in no time. Did it ever happen? No. Now, is somebody controlling it? Is somebody behind that arrangement? who very systematically, in an inconceivable way, made these arrangements for us. Now, I mean, to consider that this is all accidental phenomena, some accidental happening, in that respect, you know, I remember one American philosopher, most really it was Will Durant, uh, he mentioned that the concept that creation happened as an accident and the maintenance of this uh, arrangement is an accidental phenomenon sounds as absurd as telling that there was an explosion in a printing press and the way the types fell, the Webster Dictionary got. Yes. Have you yourself reached that state? And if that's the case, do you face, so do you ever suffer from anything? Very good question, actually. Like, <clears throat> you know, suffering is unavoidable. Every one of us here are suffering. We cannot avoid it. And, but there is a situation when the suffering becomes irrelevant. Suffering condition becomes irrelevant. In the sense, when you realize that the suffering is pertaining to the body, and you are not this body, then the suffering doesn't really affect you. Or even if you do not come to that stage of recognizing that you are not this body, but even this awareness, the understanding that you are not this body, then the suffering condition of the body becomes uh, less painful. That you realize, that, well, it's happening to the body, what can be done? So just tolerate it. Uh, so, you know, from that stage of, you know, awareness, and leading to tolerance to the suffering condition, to come to the absolute situation when the suffering doesn't at all matter. 
And I can give an example in that respect. <coughs> uh, a person is having uh, uh, heart surgery. Mm. You know, his heart is priced cut open, his ribs are cut open, and you know, <laughs> sort of. But does he feel the pain at that time? No. Why? Because of the anesthetics. What does the anesthetics do? Anesthetics actually flows the nerve current. You don't register the. You see, our perceptions are are due to the the flow of nerve currents to the brain. Mm. So when there is no current flowing into the brain, you don't really perceive the suffering condition. Although it's, can you imagine, you know, heart is cut, the chest is cut open and it's kind of, you know, priced up, you know, like it's uh, <laughs> opened up, you know, and with machines and, you know, heart is taken out, you know. But the person is not experiencing it because of the anesthetics that caused his consciousness not to flow through the body. So, in a similar way, this is an artificial way of doing it. But there is a practical way uh, of doing that. When the senses are withdrawn from the body, then what happens to the body doesn't really matter. Or you don't perceive it at all because your consciousness is withdrawn from the body. And that is what, you know, our loving relationship with the Lord, which is called the devotion to the Lord, does. The consciousness is withdrawn from the body and projected onto Him, who is the source of all consciousness. So at that stage, you know, whatever happens to the body becomes irrelevant. Very, very good. Like, you know, that's why yeah. I can say that I'm here today. Because I found something which I benefited from. And I feel that it is my responsibility to make others aware of it so that they can also benefit from that. Mm. That is the only purpose or only objective that we have here. Like here is something that we found, so why don't you consider whether it's worth its while? And it is not that for my benefit I am trying to give it to others, but for their own benefit. Uh, so, so and, and again, you know, we go back to the point, you know, education. Teacher gives the students the knowledge, and by being enriched with that knowledge, the student also becomes qualified to become a teacher in due course of time. 
so we hope that this understanding will be recognized and accepted and distributed what is the well <clears throat> as i mentioned the vedas is the the but the vedas are vast as i said like vedas literally means knowledge so all that entire the knowledge in totality is actually veda so it's a very you know like it's taking as i was pointing out from material platform it is systematically taking us to the spiritual reality and all the informations like material as well as spiritual are available in the vedas say for example the vedas have one branch called ayurveda which is actually the medical science uh, and i can tell you it's the most advanced medical science uh, similarly there are uh, there is you know the veda of music called gandharva veda music of dance music of you know and the 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 science of or knowledge of drama mm. the knowledge of you know planetary influences on others known as astrology or jyotirveda and so forth now the vedas in es the essence of the vedas are flowing in two streams one is called upanishad and the other is called puran mm. and out of these two streams the upanishad streams the essence is bhagavad gita where the lord himself spoke about the absolute knowledge he is establishing our identity being spiritual then he is establishing the nature of the soul uh, the soul the nature of the soul uh, it's never born is the body that is born when the soul accepts a new body that is called birth when the soul leaves the old body that's called death uh, and the tenure of the soul within the body from the point of birth to death is called life so it's the presence of the soul that makes the body alive right so you know it start the knowledge practically starting from that and the nature of the soul the soul is never soul can never be cut by any weapon soul can never be burned by fire it cannot be drowned in water it cannot be uh, withered by air so the soul that is the nature of the soul soul is eternal immortal and that soul is a part and parcel of the supreme lord who is the supreme soul the consciousness is coming from the soul to the body and the ultimate consciousness to all the souls are coming from the supreme soul lord himself so you know this is one branch like as you were saying bhagavad gita is one of the essence of the vedic uh, wisdom and the other in the in the line of puranas it is shrimad bhagavatam so these are the two main scriptures that if you ask me, that we that we follow um no he, there is some more question <laughs> so yeah give him the mic please he has a
tells the father, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go and play with my friends in the park. So the father says, okay, come, I'll take you. So father uh, takes the child to the park. There he meets his friends and he is lost in his games with his friends. Completely forgetting his father. But although the child has forgotten the father, the father didn't forget the child. He sits on a bench by the side of the park, watching the child. Then it becomes dark, all the friends left. Then the child calls out, Daddy, Daddy, where are you? And the father says, okay, come, let's go home. Uh, so that is another way of looking our situation in relation to the Lord. We wanted to play. Uh, and he said, okay, fine. And like a loving father, he's allowing us to fulfill our desire. But mm, in that game that we are playing, it's a very simple game. When you win, we are happy. <laughs> when you lose, we are sad. <laughs> and, and then eventually when we are uh, completely exasperated and then call out, Daddy, Daddy, where are you? Then he comes and picks us up. So all it needs is to surrender to him and tell him that, please, uh, free us from this miserable condition and take me back to your home. So if you could please give a big round of applause to His Holiness. It was a wonderful experience to be with all of you. Thank you so much. And Vijel, thank you so much for making this arrangement and giving us this opportunity. Thank you for being here. Thank you.